Hello and welcome to the Amplifying Scientific Innovation video podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sophia Onoye, founder and CEO of the Sophia Consulting Firm, a WeBank certified life science marketing and communications consultancy that was established in New York City with the goal of amplifying scientific innovation. The goal of this podcast is to showcase the importance of science advocacy, health equity, and influential leadership through conversations with senior life science leaders who will share their unique perspectives on their leadership journey, corporate vision, and industry outlook. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Garner, Ni Onyemelupe, Chief Medical Officer of Obsiva, a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company focused on the clinical development and commercialization of novel therapeutics for serious conditions that compromise a woman's reproductive health and pregnancy. She previously met Elizabeth in person prior to the pandemic at the Hyatt Grand Central New York, and we connected based on our shared Nigerian heritage and passion for women's health. Welcome to the show, my Nigerian sister, Dr. Garner. Thank you. Uh, well, it's my pleasure. So I always start the show the same way, which is to ask you a simple but very provocative question, which is, what is your definition of scientific innovation? Great starting question, I will say. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you hear it all the time, but then you're like, all right, well, ooh, you know, what, what, is, what is the definition? So, you know, I thought about this a little bit and, you know, I even went to, you know, the dictionary and I'm like, okay, what's innovation? How is it defined? And, you know, I would say simply it's, you know, creating new solutions, right? Um, but I think one thing that's important and kind of the way I think about it is there's a very wide range, right, of innovation. You know, innovation can be incremental, maybe something around the edges to maybe improve something that already exists. And then it can go all the way to really, really radical solutions, you know, developing something that's totally new, totally new approach to something or, or a product. Um, and for me, when I think about scientific innovation, specifically as it relates to health, it's the fulfillment of an unmet need, right? Something that is really an unmet need, a, mm. a problem, um, so in other words, a new solution to a problem. And I see it as, from the scientific perspective, as the use of scientific data, right, that actually leads to true change, true change in treatment paradigms. So, for example, you know, new medical treatment for conditions that have historically been treated surgically. So like ovarian cancer is a good example. You know, it's treated surgically, but we need new innovations to be able to treat this more as a medical um, condition. Um, something that substantially improves outcomes. For me, one of the things I think about all the time in women's health is, you know, like preterm labor. Um, we need a real innovation there based on the science of how we understand preterm labor to truly change the treatment and develop something brand new. So for me, when I think about innovation, I'm thinking about not just improvements around the edges, slightly better, but real radical change in treatment. I absolutely love that definition, fulfillment of an unmet medical need, because ultimately as a physician, you, you know firsthand it's about, innovation is about patient impact. That's how we measure ourselves. So thank you for that great definition. Um, so my next question for you is, I found this out maybe a few weeks ago when I published that article on WebMD about the approval of the malaria vaccine, that we're actually both born in Inugu, Nigeria. So how did growing up in a developing sub-Saharan African country shape your career journey as a physician and industry C-suite executive? Well, listen, first of all, isn't it amazing? <laughs> Two women born in Enugu. I love it. <laughs> Talking over here, 
right, in the U.S. <laughs> about innovation and science. It's just, it's you know, and, and you already talked about how we met, you know. Uh, that's totally crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, and we could say it's by chance. I don't think it was by chance, really. But, oh. you know, but, but, you know, so, look, I definitely growing up, um, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa gives me a, what I would call a global view, right? I'm always thinking globally, um, pretty much at all times. I also don't take anything for granted, right? When you've lived uh, in a world where, you know, it's tough, it's not easy. And, you know, simple things that people take for granted here, you know, are not available. Um, you really, you know, sort of think about that all the time, right? So, you know, when I hear people complaining about sort of small, it's like, not, you know, look, we have it. it we have it good here. So, um, yeah. and that has helped me think about things as I, you know, as I kind of went into um, becoming a physician, I think coming from where I came from and seeing so much in terms of just basic healthcare that just wasn't present, that definitely drove me to, to go into this area. Um, and it sort of goes back to kind of the first question really around, I want to help create solutions and innovations and also think about how, how can we get those solutions and innovations to the people who need them, who need them the most. Um, now this is challenging because in the pharma industry, as we all know, I mean, it's a profit-making industry, right? And shareholders are kind of the main stakeholders. So we don't often focus on the needs of people without access. Um, that said, I think by being in the C-suite, I can be influential, right? I can at least always remind people, you know, about those populations that exist here in the US as well, of course, but all around the world. And there are things I can do too around, for instance, strongly encouraging diversity in clinical trials, right? Let's, let's at least make sure our products are studied in currently underrepresented populations. Then also, since I work for a public company, um, you know, a lot of the work I also do is it toward advocacy and thinking about, you know, developing world in particular is through nonprofit work that I do, nonprofit board work through speaking at conferences, panels, and constantly talking about diversity in clinical trials, unmet needs in, in developing world and so on. So yes, absolutely, growing up in, in Sub-Saharan Africa and specifically in Nigeria had a tremendous influence on me. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I, your passion for health equity is just screams off the screen. I, I get it and I applaud it. And obviously it's something that I'm equally just as passionate about. So thank you for sharing that. And now I'd like to hear more about Obsiva. Can you provide a top line update on, on ongoing work at your company? Yeah, so it's been a busy, busy year. Uh, Obsiva, you know, it's a, a tiny company, uh, less than 50 people based in Switzerland. Um, we have some folks over here, some of our management team is over here, our CEO is in, in uh, California. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we are sort of global, which again, um, speaks to my own background and one of the things I like about the company. So um, we've had a lot of great things happen this year. First of all, our the candidate uh, product that we were developing for treatment of preterm labor, I already mentioned the importance for me of preterm labor needing treatments, um, our, our candidate product was actually licensed to Organon earlier this mm -hmm. year. That is huge news, right? Because for small companies like us, you know, sometimes there's, there are questions, you know, you're so small, you, you know, could you possibly be doing things the right way and so on. For, for us to have Organon validate the work that we had done in the phase, you know, one and early phase two 
um, programs to have that validated and, and licensed and to Organon to take the further development of this is, is great news for us. And also, you know, a company like Organon has the person power, right, to get that job done and hopefully bring this product to market. So very exciting. Uh, we also just announced that the FDA accepted our submission for the approval of uterine fibroids for our other product, Linzagolix. Um, we also anticipate European approval of that same product in the first quarter of this coming year. So very exciting. Um, we also recently announced that we are partnering with a company called Cineos to help us commercialize Linzagolix um, once it is approved. And then we'll also be getting results from our first phase three trial in endometriosis by the end of this year. So a lot happening. And we're also at the same time, you know, because our product for preterm labor was licensed out, the, the uterine fibroids um, Linzagolix program is mostly done. So now we're starting to think about our future too. And one thing we are really thinking about is how can we have the greatest impact, right, on health for women? More broadly, in, as you described the company, right, you mentioned reproductive health, mm -hmm. which for us remains very, very important. But we believe we, we should be broadening it a little bit more, yeah. right? So we're thinking more in terms of health for women, not just mm -hmm. reproductive health, but all the conditions that affect women, whether it's only women that are affected or whether it's, you know, women are affected more than men, right? Um, a lot of mental health stuff that women suffer more than men or ways that women um, may suffer differently. They may have a different, um, you know, presentation of a condition than men. Like, for instance, cardiovascular disease, right? Number one killer of women in the menopause, but women have heart attacks in a very different way than men. So we're thinking about all of those conditions as well and thinking about ways that we can broaden out our impact, right, on the overall health of women. So it's an exciting time for us. I, I'm super excited. Organon is obviously a big one. I will be interviewing uh, the, uh, the Chief Communications Officer at Organon, Wendy Lund, and, and I think oh, it'll be interesting. Yes, uh, I think that Organon came into the market and understood the space and yeah. really for, for a company like Obseva to be immediately noticed and to get this license and go, that says a lot for what you do. And I love the new focus and a, perhaps a more comprehensive look at women beyond just their physiological or reproductive health. What about their mental yeah. health, for example? Yeah. That's really compelling. And uh, speaking of women, so women's health represents roughly 4% of R&D investment dollars, even though women make up more than what? 50% or 51% of the population and make more than 80% of our household decisions. So why do you think this is the case? And what can women's health companies do to build investor uh, confidence? Yeah, so this is, <laughs> this is something I talk about all the time. I, I, look, I think at the end of the day, we, one of the biggest problems we still face is when it comes to investment, right, mm -hmm. in women's health, the vast, vast majority of the ultimate decision makers are men, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and look, there have been great strides, great advances, right? I mean, you know, we're seeing improvement. We're seeing women getting to, you know, higher and higher levels of decision making. But for me, until that final person who has to say yes or no to an investment until more of those people are women, 
I don't think we'll see quite the progress we want to make. So I think we've got to aim for women truly being at the top, not just the higher levels, but at the very, very top. So that's something I'm very focused on and talking about a lot. The other piece for me is, look, I don't think that we can expect men Mm -hmm. to understand Mm -hmm. what women deal with in terms of health, right? Unless, and I've seen this often, you know, in my various interactions with investors, which are very frequent, of course, I I see that unless a man has somehow direct experience Mm -hmm. um, that has impacted him, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's he has a a baby that was born prematurely or he has a partner who had Mm preeclampsia, you know, or, you know, he's suffered from infertility, you know, either himself or with a partner. It's those people that have had some kind of direct experience that, you know, get it, right? So I think we have to, and you know, nothing we can do about sort of increasing those numbers, obviously, we don't want to, we don't want more people to have these problems. But I think we've got to really explain this stuff, right? And Mm -hmm. and bring kind of the reality of what women are facing. um, And just, I think we need to educate, right? Because again, we can't expect men to understand, right? A man is going to easily understand a drug for prevention of heart disease or, mm-hmm. or cholesterol. Stuff. They, they're dealing with it all the time, but they're not dealing with the problems that women are dealing with. So I think it's, it's an educational piece. And I think for those of us who have a platform and a voice and access to investors, really it's up to us to teach, educate. I think that one of the messages there too is, you know, I think that women's health companies can also help. Um, help investors to understand why it's beneficial for all of us when women are healthy, right? So it's not only necessarily specific information on the conditions, but just explaining like, look, work productivity is gonna be better if your women in your company are are healthy and working, right? And not missing work. Um, You're, you know, you're going to, um, you know, have more revenue potentially if women are out there, you know, so so that sort of thing, Um, why is it, beneficial for why is it and I think a simple simple way to think about it is when women are healthier everyone rises together right, right? so right. Um, it's not for me it's not either or it's you know everyone needs you know better health and then lastly for me I believe a huge huge problem and one that I talk about writing about is stigma right um, huge problem women don't we're not comfortable talking about our issues sometimes even with other women yeah. And never mind to men. We do not talk about this stuff. So we need to really work on normalizing infertility, miscarriage, heavy menstrual bleeding, pelvic pain. We need to normalize it and talk about it without any shame, without any fear. Right. And I think that's going to that's going to take some time, but it's something I'm really, really talking about a lot and encouraging. Well, extremely well said. Uh, growing up in Nigeria to a boarding school, and we were taught that ladies are not heard where they're not seen. And so there's this sort of, from the time you're you're two years old for as long as you can remember as a woman, it's always been to sort of repress yourself a little bit and don't speak about those things. So thank you for encouraging the conversation about normalizing women's health issues, right? So that we can all be aware and, and, and maybe if those conversations are at the forefront, then the investment dollars will come in a bit more frequently. In addition to, of course, having more women in C-suite and in board. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And one other thing I think also, you know, is I think that 
you know, unfortunately, and it's a vicious cycle too, right? Without investment, it's difficult for women's health companies to really kind of have success, right? Um, with the, the stuff that they're working on or with, you know, their commercialization and things like that. So I'm hoping, you know, that in the very near future, somebody um, has, you know, a big success, right? Um, one of, in particular, I'm talking about one of these smaller companies, right? Mm -hmm. So look, we hope Oxiva will have a big success with Linzatholix. Um, but there are many other companies, you know, um, Dare, as you know, well, um, <laughs> you know, and, and others that, you know, I think have brilliant people at the helm and, you know, just together, you know, hopefully with all of us having successes in the market I'm talking about, um, this will help to increase, uh, you know, investor awareness and confidence. Yes, absolutely. And Dare, obviously, uh, I'm a I'm on the board of Dare, and it's a company that I, I feel quite passionately about. And the CEO of Dare, Sabrina Johnson, is also going to be a guest on this dinner of the podcast. Yes, more women's health discussions. To your point, if you have a platform, leverage that to amplify the issues yeah. that matter. So thank you for that. Now, um, when I think about you, <laughs> I, I imagine that along the course of your career, across continents, you've had mentors that have helped to shape who you are today. Are there any notable mentors that you'd like to mention that have supported you over the years? Yes, indeed. Many, many, many. Um, you know, I've not been a person that necessarily goes after sort of formal mentorship. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, for whatever reason, that's not typically worked for me, but but naturally, right? The folks that I, I work with, I, I try to identify people that um, that I look up to and that can really sort of be an example, you know, sounding board, um, that kind of thing. But going back um, to sort of you know younger years, my dad, my dad was a key mentor for me. You know, rest his soul. He passed away um, in 2020, but he always wanted to get into the weeds of what I was doing, right? Really more about the business side of things. He knew nothing about health or biology, but he was just such a great thinker, right? And, a, and just a great teacher. I mean, literally I would be talking to him, hate to admit it, in my car sometimes, you know, driving from work. I would literally be taking notes as I'm driving. I'm like, gotta write this down. I mean, cause you know, the, the way he would put things was always so helpful. So he has been huge. Um, and then I've been fortunate, I think, to have just excellent bosses, right? Um, and in particular, I think the three CEOs that I've worked with directly it, as a C-suite you know, member myself, the three CEOs um, have each in his own way, um, they're all so different. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure you can have three polar opposites, but somehow they are. But each has been very, very instrumental in my own growth as a leader, uh, I just, I'm very, very grateful for those working relationships. And there's so many others, but those are some key ones. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry, of course, to hear about your dad. I think that, you know, fathers play such an important role in shaping their daughter's lives. And I think it's particularly unique for you because a lot of African dads sometimes would sweep yeah. daughters away from science or from medicine. So it's really unique for you to have a, a special dad. And, and, and I think as you mentioned too, with the different CEOs that you've worked with, there's always something new you could you could learn and formal mentorship mm -hmm. is just as important as informal mentorship. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing yeah. the stories. All right, so we only have two or three questions left, so we'll make it fun and excited, right? <laughs> so what are some unique challenges that women of color face in biotech leadership, especially in women's health, and what coping strategies have you adopted over the years? 
Yeah, certainly a lot of a lot of challenges. I think you know, especially in women's health, um, you know, we are there, there. There are few women, believe it or not, in women's health. You know that, right? Um, and there are even fewer women of color in women's health, right? Working in this industry, um, you know, I, I not infrequently <laughs> when I'm on various you know different uh calls or conversations or various situations i sort of jot down to myself you know like how many times do i actually see another woman on the other side <laughs> or another woman of color i mean right never right i mean like, it's it's i can't i can count on probably one hand so it's 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 really something so you know that's a huge challenge for us. We need to do better. We need more women in women's health. If you look at boards, even, you know, women's health companies, there are women's health companies boards that, that don't even have women on the board, you know I mean? So thankfully, I think that's changing, um, but certainly women of color on those boards, we need increasing numbers. And then, as I said before, I think we need women at the top, right? Mm -hmm. More women at the top and more women, uh, you know, of color at the top. I think other challenges just for me personally as a woman of color, I mean, you know all of this yourself, right? You know, I'm often underestimated, uh, have to prove myself, you know, so it's hard work, you know, every day. Yep. Um, but, you know, I think I've just, uh, look, it's just been so long. I've gotten used to it. So I remind myself, I, I make a point to remind myself not to stress about it and just to deal with it and just step it up, you know, as, as needed. Um, microaggressions are real. I think for anyone who doesn't believe they are real, uh, you know, those are folks who haven't lived in our shoes, right? And, and I think they can take a while even sometimes to, uh, to, you know, hear or understand or realize. So I actually keep a list, believe it or not. And I think <laughs> often about how I can manage that same situation if it comes up later. Right. Um, and my other coping strategy also is talking about it. My life, my life partner, uh, my husband hears a lot. So I think just, you know, being able to, to share your experiences with others is key. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, extremely well said. Uh, so when you think about the life science industry, what do you think are some key factors that will be important for sustaining innovation in our industry? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, investment, 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 um, you know, so many, we've talked about this, so many small companies trying to do good work, uh, getting the word out and continuing to do what you are doing, right, which is talking about this, you know, um, focusing on, you know, innovation, and doing everything we can to move investment and keep investment going. I think we've got to We've got to be advocates um, at the government level, making sure there, you know, there continue to be funding um, in, uh, you know, at the NIH and academic, uh, you know, centers to help to sort of keep the pipeline going. So really investment in every way. I think more education also in at the high school, college level, graduate level. You know, I didn't know anything about life science industry as I was going through school. You know, if I had known about this sort of work much earlier, maybe I would have jumped in sooner. So I think a lot more education in the younger years would be also helpful. Wonderful. And my final question for you is very simple. Do you have any other comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap today? I think all I would say is thank you, you know, honestly for what you're doing, because I think these conversations are just so important. Um, getting this the word out about, you know, health equity and 
leadership and women leaders of color and investment, all this stuff is so important. So really it's, it's just, my thought is to say thank you to you for doing this. So appreciated. Well, thank you for gracing us with your presence and just your candor, your, your natural. You took us on a journey from Africa back here to New York City. Um, and, I, and I think that it's a testament of who you are. And uh, I hope that we can feature more leaders like you on our platform, because as you say, education is part of the evolution. The yeah. that journey. So thank you so much for everything. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope to see you again some other time. Take care now, okay? All right. Bye-bye. Good to see you. Good to see you too.